What up, what up? It's time for another A-Town Stomp podcast. I'm your host, John Michaels. Make sure you give me a follow on social media at John Michaels U. Make sure you follow the business website at Tackler Media. That's T-A-C-K-L-E-R Media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all the other ones. And make sure you subscribe to the newsletter where the podcasts and articles will be. That's TacklerMedia.com. The more support we get, the more content we'll pump out. We appreciate you guys all in all. I told you, A-Town Stomp's going to be more than just Falcons coverage because I'm a sports guy. Most of you that have listened to me in the past know I'm a sports talk radio guy. I love all sports. And there's no sport that I love more probably than college football. And the news that came down yesterday afternoon was flat out devastating to me and a lot of college football fans out there as well. Here's the thing. Big Ten, whether they went rogue or not, we don't know, but they have set off a domino effect that's going to continue to trickle through college football, and I truthfully believe it's going to change college football forever. Big Ten decided yesterday because of coronavirus, COVID-19, that they are only going to play conference games in 2020. That means all of the non-conference matchups that they had are going away. First and foremost, from a football aspect, some very intriguing games that are now gone. Oregon-Ohio State was going to be a marquee top seven-ish type matchup at the beginning of the year in Eugene, Oregon, which would have been a ton of fun. Michigan and Washington, two teams kind of at a crossroad. Chris Peterson's retired. Jim Harbaugh hadn't been able to get over the hump. They would have played each other, I believe, opening weekend. You had Penn State and Virginia Tech. Two teams that are trying to get to the top of their conference. Penn State has won 10 games or more just about every year under James Franklin. Justin Fuente had a resurgence a year ago with Hendon Hooker, his new young mobile quarterback. And Virginia Tech, obviously, this year now without Bud Foster, it was going to be different not having his acumen over there on the sideline uh, calling defensive plays. From a personal standpoint, Miami and East Lansing, Michigan against Michigan State, I already had plans to go up there with my boy Deshaun Tate, watch Miami whoop up on the Spartans, but either way, would have been another game with two coaches in different areas. Mel Tucker, brand new at Michigan State, Manny Diaz under the hot seat in Miami. Now all of those are out the window because of the Big Ten. Bruce Feldman, Bruce Feldman decided yesterday that the Pac-12, and he didn't decide, he tweeted out that the Pac-12 and potentially the ACC are going to follow suit. And you have to assume now that conferences, as far as all the Power Five, are going to go the same direction. The SEC, yeah, they could go pick up some ham and eggers if they want to and fill out a schedule. But if you see the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the ACC, I know Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, came out yesterday and said, no, 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 we're not thinking about this. You have to think the other two conferences fall in line. And the domino effect is not only for Power 5 if this is the route we're going to go. This flat out hurts the group of five. I use the MAC conference literally as an example. I think they lost six games yesterday that were just Big 10 related. Those six games add up to over $11 million to the individual schools. Because remember, a lot of these smaller conferences, they thrive off the fact that somebody hands them a million-dollar check for them to go there and get their asses kicked on a Saturday afternoon. You lose those games, you're not making up that money because at least this year, there's not going to be anybody that's willing to go out and pay that cash. So we'll start with the Big Ten. There's been a lot of reports that this was a selfish act by the Big Ten that they really did not consult with the other Power Five commissioners. And that rubs me the wrong way because we had heard all week long that simply these uh, conference commissioners of the FBS 
were going to wait until August to get as much data as they could with the coronavirus to depend whether what they were going to do with the college football season, whether it was going to be cancel some non-conference games, cancel the entire season, move it to the spring, whatever it may be. That was supposed to be a discussion that took place in August. And the Big Ten decided yesterday, screw this, we're getting out in front of it, much like the Ivy League did the day previous, we're going to move to conference only. Now, I had a couple of conversations on and off the air today uh, at 680 The Fan. A lot of them centered around the fact that this might be a precursor to actually getting football, that the idea of playing football with every game scheduled was going to be tough anyway because of the logistics of what was happening in college football. You're talking about trying to get 100 kids at 130 different schools plus Division One AA, D2, D3 to be in some sort of bubble during a season that they don't get paid for it. It wasn't likely. I mean, we had already seen LSU contract coronavirus because allegedly their kids were at the club. Clemson had 37 staffers and, uh, and players have coronavirus. Alabama, Texas Tech, Kansas, Kansas State, you name it, there's been a lot of them that have come out with coronavirus. It was going to be tough to have some type of uniform testing which wasn't in place. So for the Big Ten to do this, not selfish, but selfish that you didn't consult with your other conferences. But the problem is right now, each conference uh, you know, basically acts as their own entity. And when they act as on their own, they're going to do what's best for the members that are in their conference. And for the Big 12, or for the Big Ten, excuse me, they looked at this is what's going to be best for them. ACC going to follow suit. No surprise there, although geographically it becomes very tough for the ACC to figure it out when you have a school all the way in upstate New York and Syracuse and all the way as far south as you can in South Florida with the Miami Hurricanes. If those teams, and they, they're not on each other's schedule this year, thankfully, but think about for Miami, you know, potentially traveling to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, I, I don't think they, they don't have Boston College on the schedule, but going to Blacksburg, Virginia, those are not short trips. But the idea behind this from all the information I was able to gather today was simply it becomes uniform testing in each conference. So the Big Ten could say, our guys are testing this way, and we know every school is following 100% compliance by testing this way. The ACC can say the same thing. Our 14 schools are testing this way. Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, if they all follow suit as well, they can all say that they're testing this way. So it makes it easier to have accountability on your program and your players and find out are these guys going to be healthy enough to play on a Saturday afternoon. By eliminating three or four non-conference games, depending on which league you're in, you also give yourself some buffer. You know, if you want to have a flex week, and I, I say that not knowing how the logistics will work, but if fans are not going to be in the building anyway, and you say the game's either going to be played on November 10th or November 17th, TV won't like that very much, but they can find replacements. But you could get, you know, November 3rd, a team has a game, and all of a sudden they get six positives. And they decide, hey, we want to play the game on the 17th. You move the game to the 17th because now you have some extra weeks involved. Again, that's speculation on my behalf. The other part that plays into that is the natural rivalry games. Georgia and Georgia Tech here locally have played each other every year since 1925. As of today, if the ACC truly pulls the plug on non-conference games, Georgia and Georgia Tech are not on the schedule. Do you find a way to maneuver that game in? Think about it. 
SEC has Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State. I know I'm missing another one or two in there that are ACC, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. These are ACC, SEC matchups that take place basically every year between schools in a very close geographic area. How do you deal with that? That's another question that remains to be answered. Now, Bill Hancock came out today uh, and said the college football playoffs will still take the best four teams available. Well, what criteria are we going to have? Is it the same criteria that we've had in the past? Do you have to now win your conference? I think for a one-year experiment, that almost has to take place. Do you expand it and go to eight? Probably not because you don't want to add extra game. Do you still have bowl games? I know these bowls, although they don't always get a ton of fans, these bowls would love to have big uh, television revenue and big numbers, and then all of a sudden you could get some of these group of five schools an extra game where they can maybe go out and get a payday against a power five school. These are all questions that remain to be answered, but here's my theory on this. College football, as we know, will never, ever be the same again. Never will college football look like it did in 2019 again. Simply stated, If college football is now down to a conference only, there are going to be group of five schools that have to decide now, can we do this anymore? Financially, can we continue to play at an FBS level? That's a huge question when you're losing paydays. The second part to it, um, power five schools that are getting no revenue off of ticket sales are going to have to make changes and cuts. I can tell you, I spoke to somebody at the U uh, behind the scenes, not anybody's name that I'll drop, but they basically said simply, if college football doesn't happen at Miami and they don't get the TV revenue, there's going to have to be some serious discussions behind the scenes as to what goes on. You're talking about billions of dollars on the line. And before I sound insensitive, I know lives are on the line. The coronavirus has a lot of lives on the line. You know the problem I have right now? It's with leadership. Simply, whether it's the leadership of the country, the leadership of states, individual cities, there's no unified message. And the same could be said true in college football. What does Mark Emmert do right now to earn his millions of dollars in salary? Because it's not doing anything for the betterment of the game. The BS tweet that I saw today from the NCAA basically saying we, we trust in, uh, we trust in our, our conferences to make a decision How about be unified in your message and find out a way to over, maybe not override, but come out today and say, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And this is what will be best for our college football season to take place. Instead, each conference has decided we're going to do whatever the hell we need to do to be the best for the 12 or the 14 members of our fan base, of our student athletes. That's all that matters. This to me, and this goes back to what I said, that this will not look the same. This is the first step in the Power Five doing their own thing. They already control the money aspect as far as the uh, championship game and the playoffs are concerned. They control a lot of the decisions they make. The NCAA has their 
quote-unquote loose-affiliated rules that when they decide to crack the hammer, you see that come down. And that's, oh, you paid a kid $25. This is amateurism. It's a hunk of shit is what it is. Let's call it like it is. It's absolute BS. It's not amateurism. It's what school can pay the most and give the most pretty things for these kids. The NCAA needs to go away. Stay with the FBS or FCS. Stay with Division II, Division III. Go govern those institutions. Leave Division I to the haves and the have-nots. The big boys that want to play in this top 64 or 70-team division, let's go get our own TV money. You want to make it, maybe not where the kids are paid, although I'm for it. You want to make it where the name, image, and likeness is no problem. They can go out and make the cash that they want, and we can uh, you know, basically treat this like athlete students instead of student athletes. I'm all for it. Then you don't have to have people like Mark Emmert and his merry bunch of clowns Mickey Mousing around in college football. You have the five power conferences. You figure out a playoff. You guys govern it the way that you need to govern it. If there's a salary cap, you make a salary cap for the coaches. If there's, you know, bowl tie-ins you want, fine. You want to make a 16-team playoff or a 14-team playoff. However it needs to be, this is the step that's going to lead to that because college football quite frankly, will never look the same. College athletics will never look the same. Stanford has billions of dollars in endowments. And I know it's all not meant for the athletic program. Stanford cut 11 programs this week, 11 out of 34. Think about that for a second. A school that's got billions of dollars and is one of the most prestigious academic institutions in all of the country decided, 11 of these athletic endeavors can go away. And I get it. It was rowing. It was heavy rowing, whatever the hell that is. Uh, Volleyball, which was interesting to me. But they got rid of a lot of scholarship sports at Stanford. You know why? Those sports don't make money. You know what sport does make money? Football. You know what's not going to make money the same way this year? Football. And without football driving the engine, college athletics cannot exist. Mark Emmert, Mary Men, Get the hell out of here. I think it's time now for college football to govern themselves. I also think this year you decide to get creative. I make it, and I know people have said, oh, keep Notre Dame out of this. No, Notre Dame, you know, say what you want. They still have a national appeal, and I almost throw up in my mouth just praising the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, but they have a national appeal. What you do right now with Notre Dame is you simply say, okay, We're going to let you play in the ACC this year. We'll add three games. Uh, I can think of three marquee matchups right away on Notre Dame's schedule. And I believe they already played Clemson, and they may have already played Florida State. How about Notre Dame and Virginia Tech? How about Notre Dame and Miami? How about Notre Dame and Louisville? Throw those three games on. uh, Let those other schools pick up an extra game. And I think you make it 10 across the board. Now, how do you play this? I have no earthly idea. From what I've read, and I know Barrett Slee, buddy of mine on CBS Sports today, said uh, to Zach Gelb, CBS National show from 6 to 10 p.m., he said to Zach Gelb pretty simply, he thinks 65 to 70% chance we play in the fall and that spring, and this echoes the sentiments of a lot of people, spring is the absolute last resort. You can't play spring football. You cannot ask unpaid kids to play February through May And then turn around and have a month off and then start training for a season that starts again in August. I go back to what was said earlier this week by a lot of different people, including myself. What makes you think in February it's magically going to be better? Talking about coronavirus. What makes you magically think in February if 
best case scenario, we have a vaccine. It's readily available for everybody to take and coronavirus is going to poof, disappear. It's not. It's something that we're going to have to learn to live with. And I'll be honest, I have questioned some of the numbers that are out there. It's not that I disagree or don't believe that coronavirus is real. I know it's real. I've, I've talked to multiple people that I know personally that have had coronavirus. Now, for most of them, three, four days, they were sick, and then they were back healthy. There are people, though, that have lost family members. There are people that have lost parents and aunts and uncles and kids and everything else, and you feel horrible for them. But this is something not unlike other viruses that we are going to have to learn to live with. Now, if living with it means wear a mask and I can get leadership, and this again goes back to my leadership aspect, if I can get real leadership that tells me put on a mask and that'll save us or save your neighbor, and that's an unequivocal message from top to bottom, I'll wear a mask. And don't get me wrong, I wear a mask when I need to. If I'm going to the grocery store, I got a mask on. When I'm training people at the gym, I've got a mask on. When I go in and work out myself, they don't mandate a mask. I'll be honest, I have a hard time working out with a mask, so I might have a bandana over my face, but I work out that way. If you don't need a mask, like you're out to dinner, what do you do? You know, if I'm out to dinner, the only thing I can do is take my mask off and eat dinner with my wife. And yes, I still go out to dinner. I've been to a tattoo shop and my son's gone to the barber shop. Barber shop makes him wear a mask and makes me wear one while I'm in there. Point being, if that's the leadership and that's what it's going to take for things to go back to somewhat normal and us to get our sports back, let's do it. The problem is you get that message once and then a week later, it's not the mask. It's something else. And two weeks later, it's back to the mask. That's the confusing part of all of this. All I know yesterday was a landmark day in college football. It's huge. It's seismic. It's something that will reverberate throughout the country and throughout athletics for as long as we know. The game is never going to be the same, and I hate it. I hate it for the Central Floridas, the South Floridas, the Boise states of the world. Because if I'm one of them right now, I'm calling these other conferences and saying, I want in. What do I have to do to get in? Because if you're in Conference USA or the AAC or the Mountain West or, or any of these other conferences, how are you filling out your schedule if you had one of these marquee matchups? It's not going to be easy, and you're going to lose a lot of money. So I think right now the line in the sand is either you're going to be a big boy program or you're going to be a program that's going back to the FCS uh, level. That's where we're at with college football. The last thing I want to get off my chest, and I wrote a piece on Barrett Sports Media last week, and if you check it out at John Michaels U, it's pretty simple. I'm really tired of people in our industry poo-pooing sports coming back. Dan Matthews, buddy of mine, had a very heartfelt Twitter message this week. It's something that, I, like I said, I wrote about last week. It seems like people in sports media who are still employed and making a great living are really quick to say, told you so, told you we're not going to play sports. We need some hope right now. And my hope is MLS is underway, and it seems to be working. NBA is starting in about 20 days. Outside of them complaining about hotel rooms, it seems like it's going to work. Uh, MLB, the Braves have first pitch 14 days from today, like literally 14 days from today, we'll be giving you live updates about the Braves. So I'm tired of the over-sanctimonious, sometimes overpaid sports media guys wanting to tell us what's right. And I asked a question college football related and got some snarky answers on social media, but I think it's something that needs to be brought up. Headline, Clemson, 37 players test positive for COVID. Okay, 
It's a headline that we need to see. It's a reality of what's going on in the world. Headline, LSU, 20 players test positive for COVID. Headline, Kansas State shuts down voluntary workouts because of COVID. Headline, UNC and Ohio State shut down workouts because of positive tests. Where the hell are our follow-up stories? Where are they at? Seriously, where are the follow-up stories? I looked yesterday, and there's a blurb in a paragraph in the headlined article that says Clemson 37 players test positive that 25 had already recovered. Okay, why is that buried in the middle of the story and not the same national headline the next day that the original story was? I went back and could not find an an article on LSU. Literally, I think it's June 15th or 20th, the advocate, it might have been the paper, still had that LSU had 20 players test positive for coronavirus. That information of recovery, I don't need the players' names. I just need to know that 11 players recovered. Oklahoma put it out there today, uh, and I think Barrett had tweeted it, 89 players tested, zero positives, 14 being uh, looked at, five have already recovered, so meaning five guys had had it before. Those are the stories we need to see more of, and I don't understand why our national college football guys like to hide those. Don't put them in the middle of your story. Make it the headline that hits CBS Sports or ESPN or Tackler Media. Because I promise if we get anything from any of the schools and we've got access to basically all the Southeast right now, if I get anything from any of those schools and it says we had 20 players recover, I promise the article is going to read 20 players recovered from the university of insert team name here. That's what needs to happen. All I'll say right now, we saw a landmark day. I personally still hold out hope that come October, maybe even September, college football is going to be played. All I know is yesterday, we changed the landscape of the game that we all know and love, and I hope a year from now, six months, hell, even three months from now, the game looks the same. Appreciate you guys listening. John Michaels. See ya.